comedy is just a form of communication. I think it's like level two communication, right? So level one is just being able to explain something clearly. If you're able to explain something clearly, then you can level up and make it funny. So you do have to be a very good communicator to do that. Hey, I'm glad you're here with us today. I'm Lynn Borton, host of Choose to be Curious, a show all about curiosity. We talk about research and theory, but mostly it's conversations about how curiosity shows up in work and life. Welcome. Come, choose to be curious with us. There are many things I find fascinating, but also confusing about neuroscience and the neuroanatomy of our brains. Among them is the wonderful but confounding fact that specific parts of our brain are associated with a wide and sometimes wildly divergent array of processing activities. Take the anterior cingulate cortex, which is responsible for cognitive, physiological, and emotional functions, and believed to be necessary for everything from resolving response conflicts to disregarding salient distractors and changing behavior in response to the generation of an error. It processes curiosity and humor, among so many other functions. According to Scott Weems, a cognitive neuroscientist and the author of the book, Ha! The Science of When We Laugh and Why, you can actually see humor being processed in the brain, in the anterior cingulate, where we deal with conflict. He says that's how humor starts. You set up an expectation, and then that expectation is violated somehow, creating a mental conflict. There's an aha moment. That moment that makes you laugh when you hear something unexpected and you make this new connection. Dopamine is released and you get all this physiological response, which I guess is why laughing feels so good. Similar things go on with curiosity. So I wondered, how did the two interact, curiosity and humor? Does one rely on the other? Can we leverage them? What might we accomplish if we leaned into both? There's research that humor is uniquely persuasive. So persuasive, in fact, that the Center for Media and Social Impact, based at American University School of Communication, has created a series of enterprises to leverage humor for social good. Good Laugh, for instance, is a comedy production engine and knowledge lab that brings together talented minds in humor, social justice, entertainment, and philanthropy to collaborate and create comedy and research to, as they say, help repair the world and build a more just, equitable future. Another effort, the Yes And Laughter Lab, is a competitive incubation lab, pitch program, and showcase that lifts up diverse writers and performers, creating new comedy about topics that matter. Some comedian out there is going to score a $20,000 prize from Yes And Laughter Lab. So this comedy stuff is serious business. Kasha Patel knows a thing or two about the serious business of comedy and science. Kasha is the deputy weather editor for the Capital Weather Gang at the Washington Post, covering weather, climate, and the environment. Before joining the Post, she produced news stories, videos, and features about earth science, climate change, and satellite research for NASA. 
that could sound, I don't know, a little dry to those not so enamored of science, but not in Kasha's hands. Because Kasha is also a stand-up comedian who's been using humor to communicate science for years. I first reached out to her about curiosity and storytelling more generally, but I've come to think that her work at the intersection of science, humor, and I posit curiosity is even more fun to explore, not to mention critical for the planet, for our collective futures. Honestly, I'm just grateful she does what she does. And I'm delighted to have Kasha Patel join me today. So welcome, Kasha. Hi, Lynn. Thank you so much for having me. First off, great radio voice. Very soothing. I love listening to that. <laughs> oh, well, thank you. And I'm so excited to have you. We've been, as you know, we've been working on this for a long time and, and the stars have finally aligned, which kind of feels cosmic and appropriate in a NASA science <laughs> communication sort of a way. So I'm curious, when did you first link science and humor? Oh, good question. So growing up, my parents were very academic oriented and I have three older brothers and yes, my parents are Indian and the stereotypes are true to a certain extent. My dad is a physician and he very much heavily emphasized science in our household. And I studied chemistry in college, which I, I very much liked. And I love writing. I minored in that in school. And then for gap year, I decided to enroll in a science journalism program. And that was kind of the start of me learning how science can be communicated. I got into it because when I was doing my journalism minor, I was trying to find things to write about. And I was just not having a good time. And I remember that my professor, he said, well, what are you really interested in? What do you really know? And I said, well, I'm a chemistry major and I spent all my time in the science buildings and I grew up in this science household and I know a lot of things about science. And he said, well, why don't you write about that? And I kind of scoffed and I was like, nobody wants to hear about science. It's boring. Unless you're in science, people don't want to know about those things. And he said, if it's interesting to you, other people will be interested. Yeah. And I think he meant that my enthusiasm and passion for the subject will come through in my writing. And of course, he was correct. And I started doing my science writing in college. And then I thought, oh, wait, I can get a master's degree in this. And I convinced my parents to let me go for um, a three-semester program at Boston University. So when I was up in Boston University, I was writing about big array of subjects that I wrote about. And that's one thing that I really like about journalism is you can learn a lot about a lot of different things. I would love to get a PhD someday, but the problem is I don't know what I'd want to get the PhD in. Because <laughs> I can't imagine spending seven years on one thing, becoming a world expert at something very, very narrow. And then I would just be thinking, what about all the other things I didn't learn about? You know, so I have that kind of complex of I want to be everywhere and know everything. And when I was in Boston, one of my uh, classmates invited me to a local comedy club to see one of her co-workers, friends, boyfriends, roommates eh, performing. It was enough degrees of separation that if they weren't very good, I could say something and not really offend anybody. So very low stakes. And I went there and they were actually pretty good and they weren't famous people. They were just 
like a person that you would be in class with. So they weren't famous and they were very funny. And you know, I thought, oh, I can do this. And when you're starting out, the easiest thing to joke about is yourself. So I was writing jokes about me growing up as an Indian American in West Virginia, my life with my brothers, family, etc. And I was also every other moment of the day, I'm surrounded by science because I'm taking science courses and my I'm writing about science. So to me, it just kind of made sense for me to also do jokes about science. Unfortunately, because I was new, it didn't work out very <laughs> well. Because you're ter- anytime you start something new, you're terrible at it. So I was going up there doing jokes that I thought were funny about science, but people weren't necessarily responding to them. But the jokes about me and my background were doing well. So I thought maybe people just aren't interested in science. So I kind of stopped doing jokes when I was in Boston. Then I moved to Washington, D.C. area for my job at NASA. And my colleagues found out that I did stand-up comedy. And they said, oh, do you do science jokes? And, and I said, oh, you would come to a show that has science jokes. And they said, yeah. So I started writing science jokes. And I created a my first science comedy show. And people really came out. You have a, a TEDx talk, which is a lot of fun. I recommend people <laughs> listen to it. And you did some research actually on your own jokes. So eventually it turned out that your science jokes were doing better than some of your other jokes. Did you have a theory about why science jokes tickle people's funny bone? (laughs) I've figured out that in writing these new science jokes, the way that I have to write them and test them is I had to go out to places uh, open mics, bars, late at night on Tuesdays, anywhere. I performed in so many weird places. I performed <laughs> on the Metro. I don't know if that was legal, so maybe you know, <laughs> don't don't spread that one around. <laughs> I performed in Chinese restaurants, you know, just in parks, very, as well as theaters and clubs. I learned that if I can make a non-science person laugh about a science joke, then the science person will laugh. So I was, every time I'd go out, I would try and work on my science jokes. And it also kind of made sense for what my goal is, if I want to bring science to the masses, you can't just do it at science comedy shows, which I love doing as well. There's a lot of pros about doing science comedy shows for scientists. They're very appreciative. They don't see a lot of stuff like that. And it does motivate scientists to think about communicating their research creatively. So I'm doing all these jokes in front of science audiences, non-science audiences, and comedians have an idea of what jokes do well. They perform them. They know, oh, that joke did well. That joke didn't do well. And they kind of make maybe a mental indication of like, oh, that joke needs work or oh, I've tried that joke 20 times. It's not working out very well. And I had something similar. Um, I had an Excel sheet that I actually kept that I would rate the jokes like on a scale of one to five. So when I was trying to figure out what jokes do the best, I had to think of a more objective number-based measure for it. So Like a true scientist. (laughs) Yeah, and you know, I like data. (laughs) It informs a lot of things about our lives and my comedy career, apparently. (laughs) So we measured how long it took for me to say the premise and how many seconds of laughter got produced after that. And then we categorized them 
based off of if they're a science joke, non-science joke. There were a couple of other things that I measured. And I found that the science jokes did better no matter where they were placed in the set. And that was, I think, a bit surprising to me Uh because nobody really does science jokes, especially not at a bar on like a Wednesday night at like, or even worse, (laughs) Friday night at like 1am. No one is doing science jokes. And I think those did better because it was different Mm -hmm. and it was truthful. That's Mm. one thing I really emphasized in my comedy that all my premises are true. And I have people who come up to me afterwards and they Googled my joke and they say, oh, my gosh, you were actually right. I can't believe that's true because sometimes I give weird science facts. And I think if anything, it just shows people that science isn't boring. It's fun. And you don't have to be scared of it because I think some people get turned off from the idea of, oh, science. As soon as they hear that word, they kind of shudder. Well, so that goes to a question that I had was whether or not there was an explicit strategy on your part about using humor to pique curiosity about science, important environmental concerns. And I think you mentioned this excitement about people that like fact-checked me. So do you think of yourself sort of using humor to pique curiosity or is it more incidental than that? When I was starting out doing science comedy, I did it because I liked it. I like yeah. making people laugh and I like science because it's just I'm inherently fascinated in science and sharing the awesome things about science with the world. And I think everyone should be curious about science. So when I did it, I just did it because I thought it was a fun thing to do. It was just more of a personal interest. And people would come up to me and they would say things like, oh, you're, this is so great what you're doing. You know, this is really great for science education. And they were trying to put higher uh, importance on my science comedy than what I viewed it as. They were elevating your motives. Yes, yes, thank you. Yes, that is much better way of putting it. Whereas I'm still new, so I'm just trying to be funny. I'm just trying Uh to write stuff to make people laugh. You're listening to Choose to be Curious, conversations about curiosity and work and life. I'm your host, Lynn Borton, and I'm joined today by Kasha Patel, journalist and stand-up comedian. We're testing her and my theories about the funny intersections of science, curiosity, science curiosity, and humor. I told you, you never know where these conversations will take you. And that's one thing that I always think about I always try and be a comedian first. My goal is to make people laugh first and then learn something. And the two don't necessarily have to be hierarchical. Uh, But I go out and I perform with other comedians and I have to make sure that my science jokes are just as funny as a non-science joke. Yeah, yeah. So do you think that these efforts like Good Laughs or the Yes End Laughter Lab could actually make a difference since they are goal-oriented, right? I mean, their goal is to use humor to kind of raise people's awareness about these issues. Do you think that will work either from a comedic sense or from a science sense? You know, there is research 
that shows the value of science comedy. There was one study that talked about climate comedy, and I actually interviewed the researcher about this on my podcast called Science Comedy Paradox. And it was fascinating because she has this group of students who makes climate-themed comedy for the past few years, like every year. And she found that the students actually felt more motivated and less depressed about climate change afterwards. They focused their comedy on climate solutions. So it was more positive, uh, good-natured is what they called it, good-natured comedy about climate as opposed to satirical comedy, which you might see on like a late-night show. They did publish a study research that showed from the makers of science comedy that it can help motivate people and spur more perhaps climate action. Another study said that the audience, uh, <laughs> they perceived a if there was a science comedian on stage or, you know, a person on stage, that the funnier that they were, the more effective communicator, the higher level of expertise the audience thought that the performer had. The way that I think of it is, you know, comedy is just a form of communication. I think it's like level two communication, right? So level one is just being able to explain something clearly. If you're able to explain something clearly, then you can level up and make it funny. So you do have to be a very good communicator to do that. And then that last study, I reached out to the authors and I had an idea for my own research study that I wanted to do based off of my science jokes. One thing that I noticed was how people perceive your jokes based off of how you are presented to the audience. So I had this issue where people, oh gosh, people would introduce me as your next comedian works at NASA when I used to work at NASA. And that would always make me upset. So in this study, I had uh, my science jokes. I came up with like a minute, two minute set. And we had four different comedians say those same jokes. And I coached them so that they were saying them in the same exact way. And then we introduced them as, you know, a scientist or a comedian. I think we might have said physicist. And then we had people rate how funny they thought they were and how effective of a communicator they thought they were, how much more likely they were to share that video or like those jokes or promote that information that they just ingested to friend. So we tested title. We also tested gender. And then we also tested their background, like their ethnic background and seeing if any of those factors, the things that maybe how you're introduced or what you see with your eyes, how exactly does that affect an audience's view of you. Just preliminary results, I can say, is that we didn't really find too much of a difference between the groups. That if you were if you were funny enough, if you were funny enough, then people responded to your jokes all the same, which is great news. That's what you want to hear. And to go to your question on whether I think initiatives like Good Laughs and Yes and Laughter Lab are helpful. Research and my own personal idea of experiences have shown that, yes, I do think that humor is effective in helping communicate complex messages or difficult messages. Now, how you do that, the actual intricacies of how you present that humor is another conversation that I have opinions about. 
And I think the biggest thing is who sees it. It's a lot about the vehicle, right? So a lot of this comedy, social justice comedy, I mean, I write a lot about climate change um, during my day job. And it's very difficult to, climate change is one of the hardest things I think to joke about because people come in with their preconceived notions already. As soon as you say climate change, it bums people out. As soon as you say climate change, people think of um, our political system because it has been very much politicized now because that's where a lot of the solutions fall now. It's within the laws that are going to be created or not created. And the way that I think about my comedy is I want it to reach, I want it to be um, palatable for the widest audience that could possibly see it. So I try to make my stuff stick more to facts or sneak, uh, not make it so, not make it from a political angle. And I think that sometimes when you have humor, or comedians that have that kind of the viewpoint that they bring to the comedy, which is what comedy is. You know, it's a person up there. It's their voice. It's their perspectives. It's their opinions. But I think if you do have a wider goal of trying to bring opposite parties together, you have to be a little more careful about that. So how do you get outside of your bubble and reach other people? And I think humor has the potential to do that. To me, humor is fantastic because you can get you know, a third grader to laugh at the same joke that as a like the president of the United States, you know, to me, humor is so great that it can connect people from all different educational and demographics, locations all around the world. They can bring them together. First of all, I love this study that you did. What an intersection of humor, science and curiosity, just saying. <laughs> but also, you know, kind of on this political end to switch gears a little bit, there's this research that Dan Cahan at at Yale has done about science curiosity, thinking of it as a desire to seek out and consume scientific information just for the pleasure of it, right? And that his research shows that science curious people are more likely to explore data contradicting their worldview and are less prone to fall victim to things like motivated reasoning, where we tend to find arguments in favor of the conclusions that we want to believe. So this is the place where I think what you're talking about is so interesting because it's like the back door, right? If humor can turn people into being more science curious, then maybe it allows the conversation to have a wider and more diverse audience so that you're not just preaching to the choir. No, I Um, love that. So are you on a mission to increase science curiosity, whether, I mean, consciously or unconsciously? I love that. I I did not think of it as science curiosity, but that I think, yes, that I am trying to make, I'm trying to promote more science curiosity. And the research that you cited, I mean, as you're saying this, you're describing me. That's completely correct. In order for me to understand why some people don't think this way or believe the science fact, I have to explore what they do think and the reasoning behind it. And Uh to me, it is fascinating to be more curious about how people view all different uh, sides of a topic. Mm -hmm. As far as though my personal I'm working on my hour-long show that I want to premiere at festivals. And, you know, the goal would be to have a stand-up comedy special. And I think, yes, I want people to learn some things. But 
what what I hope will last longer for them, it's not just the facts that they can learn, right? Because you can Google that. Right. It's the fact that you change the way that they think about, (laughs) this sounds very large, you change the way they think about the world. You know, (laughs) now it feels like I'm really putting a lot of uh, big ideas on silly science comedy, but, (laughs) you know. But but why not, right? I mean, why not accomplish (laughs) big things with humor, right? So, and to that end, I harvest what I call curiosity practices, things that people do that sort of strengthen and bring curiosity into their work and lives and that sort of thing. So do you, as as a science journalist, as a comedian, do you have what you think of? or what I would describe as curiosity practices? Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, that's what I do during my day job. I'm a journalist. I ask questions. Uh, yeah, I mean, I like learning, and I get paid to learn and tell people what I learn. <laughs> to me, that's so wonderful. And the funny thing about comedy is people think it's all about the joke writing, and it is. That's obviously the huge portion of it. But the premise is actually the most important part of the joke. You know, Chris Rock has said this, that if people don't understand the premise of your joke, the serious part of the joke, they're going to be lost and they're not going to understand the punchline. So you really have to make sure that what you're communicating, the serious part is clear. It's logical. It's correct if that's what you want it to be. And in order for me to create a good premise, I have to do a lot of reading and research. It's essentially journalism. I mean, I'm reading all of these studies. I'm talking to scientists. I'm trying to figure out, okay, what is the point of the research here? And once you understand that, then you can make it more digestible for other people. And I mean, Albert Einstein, I heard he said this, but who knows, maybe misquoted, but it feels like something he'd say. He essentially... (laughs) said that if you can't explain it in your own words, then you don't actually understand it. Right. So there's a lot of ingesting of information from other places for me. And I I, I like to be told things multiple times uh, to make sure that I understand it. So I think if I can understand something, then I can make anyone else understand something because I'm pretty, I I take things slowly. I reread things, you know, I, yeah, I ask a lot of questions if I don't understand something. (laughs) So I feel like I'm a good target audience for, for what I'm trying to do. I love this idea of sort of the economy of your premise and treating it, it's like prime real estate, right? You really want to build something good there so that the zinger works because otherwise it doesn't at all. Interesting. Well, Kasha, thank you so much for this. This has been a lot of fun and I'm excited that you've got some shows coming up. Yeah. I I just like trying to bring happiness to people in a world where it feels like every day there's a reason not to be happy. So I just try and uh, make people smile. You've been listening to Choose to be Curious. You can find this and all my previous episodes on my website at choosetobecurious.com. I hope you follow me there and on social media at Choose to be Curious. Many thanks to my guest, Kasha Patel. Links to her TEDx talk and that science curiosity research I mentioned on my website. Thanks, too, to Sean Ballack for our theme and other music. I hope you'll join us again next time. Until then, choose to be curious. <laughs>